Okay, if you want to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 15, I'm going to read it from the Passion Translation, so it might not be worded the way that you read it out of the ESV. The ESV is my standard Bible, so that's how I normally would read it, but just from what I'm going to teach tonight, I'm going to read it from the Passion. So uh, it's not going to be worded the way that, yeah, it makes sense, right? <laughs> yeah, cool. The reason why I'm reading it from the Passion is just I, I love the way that he's worded it. It just helps you understand what he's actually talking about um, in maybe our kind of love language, if that makes sense. Um, okay, John chapter 15 from verse 1. I am a true sprouting vine, and the farmer who tends the vine is my father. He cares for the branches connected to me by lifting and propping up the fruitless branches and pruning every fruitful branch to yield a greater harvest. The words I have spoken over you have already cleansed you, so you must remain in life union with me, for I remain in life union with you. For as a branch severed from the vine will not bear fruit, so your life will be fruitless unless you live your life intimately joined to mine. I am, sprout, I am the sprouting vine and you're my branches. As you live in union with me as your source, fruitfulness will stream from within you. But when you live separated from me, you are powerless. If a person is separated from me, he is discarded. Such branches are gathered up and thrown into the fire to be burned. But if you live in life union with me, and if my words live powerfully within you, then you can ask whatever you desire and it'll be done. When your lives bear abundant fruit, you demonstrate that you are my mature disciples who glorify my Father. I love each of you with the same love that the Father loves me. You must continually let my love nourish your hearts. If you keep my commands, you will live in my love just as I have kept my Father's commands. For I continually live nourished and empowered by his love. My purpose for telling you these things is so that the joy that I experience will fill your hearts with overflowing gladness. Let's go back to the first verse. I am a true sprouting vine, and the farmer who tends the vine is my father. He cares for the branches connected to me by lifting and propping up the fruitless branches and pruning every fruitful branch to yield a greater harvest. So already, you've got to be reading this and going, okay, we were created to bear fruit. We were created to produce something in our lives that tastes like something, Right? Already you can see that. Verse three, the words I have spoken over you have already cleansed you. So you must remain in life union with me for I remain in life union with you. This, that little one line there ties up so much with what I was sharing last week or the week before where don't take your failures and stuff and put it between you and God. He's saying remain in life union, meaning you're one with me for life. Remain in that always because that's how I see it with you. I'm always in that union with you. So don't treat it differently to the way that I treat my relationship with you. You understanding this? For as a branch severed from the vine will not bear fruit, so your life will be fruitless unless you live your life intimately joined to mine. I am the sprouting vine and you are my branches. As you live in union with me as your source, fruitfulness will stream from within you. But when you live separated from me, you are powerless. Okay, we've got a whole lot of other scriptures to go through, but I just want to set this up quickly. Every single one of us were created first and foremost for relationship and intimacy with God. Full stop. That's the foundation of the gospel. If it's not built on that, we've missed the whole thing. 
You can do signs, wonders, miracles. You can do the most incredible things. But if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, it means nothing. Moses cast down his staff and it turns into a snake. But so did the other magicians. They threw down their sticks and they turned into snakes as well. The enemy knows how to perform cool things and, and signs and wonders and whatever. Those things can happen. But power is not in the sign and, and the wonder. It's actually an intimacy with Jesus. So your authority comes from intimacy with Jesus. Another good example is in Acts chapter 17, the sons of Sceva. I think it's 17. It might be 19, but I think it's 17. The sons of Sceva, they see Paul going around and he's um, saying in the name of Jesus, be healed or casting out demons in the name of Jesus. And so they see this and they go, it must be, must be if you say the name of Jesus, then something happens. So it's got to be in that. So they go, they go to a demon-possessed person and they try and cast out the demon. Do you know what the demon did? It says, Jesus I know and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And this demon gave them a whipping, stripped them naked and beat them broken. So this power that we're talking about when we see signs and wonders and miracles, has to come from intimacy with Jesus because it's what you were designed for. We cannot bear fruit in our lives. We cannot see long-lasting, healthy fruit in our lives if it's not coming from the vine. It just makes sense, right? That's what he's saying. He's saying he's the vine, the father is the farmer. He prunes, I love this, he prunes, he gets rid of everything in our life that's not meant to be there. We don't do a thing. He's saying there's one requirement for every single believer in the gospel. Stay connected to the vine. Basically, what he's saying is surrender. Every single one of us, the one requirement, the only thing that he's asking every Christian to do is to surrender. And when we surrender, he prunes, he props up, he gets rid of the, the dead branches, the things that aren't meant to be there, and he makes sure that we produce good fruit. So what this thing is saying, this piece of scripture, is it's saying if we're not connected to the vine, we're powerless and we won't produce fruit, right? It's very simple. And so as I've been studying this, I've been realizing that first and foremost, if we don't build a healthy foundation in all of our lives, being rooted and grounded in Him, abiding in the vine, staying connected to Jesus, the Christian life means nothing without that. The Christian life without knowing God is just empty and dry, it's a whole lot of, of things and rules and, and you feel like you're trying to achieve a whole lot of things, but you miss that river that actually makes all of it possible. You miss the vine that supplies you with all the nutrients needed to actually do those things. Does this make sense? Yeah. And so what I really believe is, is happening over this next little time, uh, this next season for us, is that God wants to establish healthy root systems in every single one of our lives. And the reason why I say that is because a lot of you would have found that when you gave your life to Jesus and you committed yourself to this and you went in 100% and you said, okay, Lord, I'm in, the storm came, right? It just happens. Guess why? Just think about this simply. Like, I don't understand why people go, you know what? I, I tried this Jesus thing out and then suddenly life just got terrible, you know? And I'm like, okay, first and foremost, we don't just try the Jesus thing out. He said, give me your life, first thing. Then secondly... Do you think that the devil's happy with you giving yourself to Jesus as a vessel to be used to give him a bad day every day? Like, do you think he's just sitting there and he's totally okay for Christians to come into their identity, know who they are, and literally walk every step crushing hell under their feet? Like, he's not okay with that. So what does he do? He says, oh, you claim to believe something. I'm going to squeeze you, and let's see what comes out. Dan Moller uses an awesome example. If you squeeze an orange juice, what do you get? I mean... <laughs> You get an orange, yeah. And if you squeeze an apple juice, what do you get? More juice. 
If you squeeze an orange, you get orange juice, right? If you squeeze an apple, you get apple juice. So if you squeezed an orange and you got apple juice out of it, wouldn't that be weird? So why is it not weird to us that when life squeezes a Christian, anything but Jesus comes out? This is what we've got to understand, that when we're a Christian, the devil's intimidated by that because he hates God. And so when life squeezes us and stuff gets difficult and suddenly situations get tough and things start to get intense and pressures and stuff starts to squeeze us, Jesus is supposed to come out. Why? Because he's filled us with himself. He lives inside of us. We're a Jesus bomb waiting to happen. We're a gospel grenade. When, when life wants to pull the clip, so sorry, but you're going to get Jesus all over you. <laughs> like, that's how we got to live. Come on. But that doesn't happen if you don't have relationship with him. That doesn't happen if you don't know him. We've got too many Christians going around that are really good at discussing the idea of Christianity, but they don't understand the depth of relationship with God, and so there's no fruit in their life. Good example Jesus walks up, uh, he sees a fig tree, and it's in, it, it, there's a whole bunch of leaves and stuff on it. It looks like a really healthy tree. And he walks up to the tree, and there's no fruit on the tree. But it's the time of year when it should be bearing fruit. And he curses the fig tree, and the thing withers up and dies. And the disciples start to ask why and whatever. And it's such a beautiful picture of what he's saying is, you can, the religious mindset, the religious understanding is, let's put out our leaves and let's talk about this a whole lot. But when people actually come and want to taste the fruit of your life, there isn't anything to taste. It's dry and it doesn't nourish you. What we've got to be is Christians that are producing fruit because we're abiding in the vine. We have relationship with Jesus. And I'm not trying to sell you my fruit. I don't have to. I'm a fruit-bearing tree. If you come up and you make contact with me, you can pick the fruit from my life and taste of the goodness of God. And the seed in that fruit gets planted in you. And suddenly it begins to bear a hunger and a desire to be what you were created to be. But I don't have to sell my fruit. If I have to sell my fruit, it's probably fake. Does this make sense? But there's no ways that we're going to get to producing fruit if we don't have relationship with Jesus. We're going to come back to John 15. Let's quickly go to Luke chapter 8. We're going to go from uh, verse 5. Luke chapter 8 to verse 5. A farmer went out, again, sorry, reading from the Passion Translation. A farmer went out to sow seeds for a harvest. As he scattered his seed, some of it fell on the hard pathway and was quickly trampled down and unable to grow and became nothing but bird seed. Some fell on the gravel, and though it sprouted, it couldn't take root. It withered for lack of moisture. Other seed fell where there was nothing but weeds. It too was unable to grow to full maturity, for it was choked out by the weeds. Yet some of the seed fell into good fertile soil, and it grew and flourished until it produced more than a hundredfold harvest, a bumper crop. Then there's a whole explanation here, but I just want you to jump down to, I'd encourage you to read this whole chapter, by the way, in context, but for time's sake, jump down to verse 11. This is now when Jesus is going to explain the parable that he's just shared. He says, here then is the deeper meaning to my parable. The word of God is the seed that is sown into hearts. The hard pathway represents the hard hearts of men who hear the word of God, but the slanderer quickly snatches away what was sown in their hearts to keep them from believing and experiencing salvation. Whoa. The seed falling on the gravel represents those who initially respond to the word with joy, but soon afterward, when a season of harassment of the enemy and difficulty comes to them, they wither and fall away, for they have no root in the truth, and their faith is temporary. I don't know about you, but i got friends, that fits the, that fits the exact thing, right? 
verse 14. The seed that falls into the weeds represents the hearts of those who hear the word of God, but their growth is quickly choked off by their own anxious cares, the riches of this world, and the fleeting pleasures of this life. Whoa. (laughs) Next one. This is why they never become mature and fruitful. The seed that fell into good, fertile soil represents those lovers of truth who hear it deep within their hearts. They respond by clinging to the word, keeping it dear as they endure all things in faith. This is the seed that will one day bear much fruit in their lives. I don't know about you, but that scripture is pretty self-explanatory. I mean, you can just read that and you're like, oh my word, this, he's, he's giving it straight up. The first thing he's saying is, those that are not receiving the word, it can be because their, heart, their hearts are hard. And the slanderer quickly snatches away what was sown into their hearts to keep them from believing and experiencing. So you go and share something with someone and encourage them. And because their hearts are so hard, they don't, it doesn't take root. It just kind of sits there in their head for maybe a day or so or whatever. And suddenly the enemy takes that thing away so that it can't produce good fruit, right? That's the first one. The second one uh, is when it falls on the gravel, which is those who initially respond with joy. They're super keen, super excited, and then suddenly life gets hard. And like I was talking about earlier, I tried this Jesus thing out, and suddenly life got hard. I want nothing to do with that, right? That's the second group of people. Their faith is temporary. There's no root in the truth. Then the seed that falls into the weeds, this is a lot of Christians, guys. This, this third one here is, is where a majority of the church gets stuck. The seed that falls into the weeds represents the hearts of those who hear the word of God, but their growth is quickly choked off by their own anxious cares, the riches of this world, and the fleeting pleasures of this life. Isn't it interesting that in order for weeds to grow, the soil has to be relatively decent? So you can have relatively good soil, and, and, and there's space for something to grow, like the seed can start to grow, but you've also got weeds growing. And so those weeds, the anxious, your own anxious cares, the desires of this world, pleasures of comfort, luxury, uh, riches, wealth, all this stuff, all these things that we let grow in our garden, those weeds start to choke out the word of God, and eventually you lose everything that was sown. That's why you find Christians that give their life to Jesus, super radical, you start to see growth, you start to see transformation, and then suddenly they begin to go off into different things, and suddenly this begins to pull them, and they make that decision where, oh, actually, I'm going to take this job or that thing, or this is going to you know, affect and influence my life because those are my cares. Those are the things that I've allowed to grow in my garden, and it suffocates and it kills what was God, okay? Then, The last one, the seed that fell into good fertile soil represents those lovers of truth who hear it deep within their hearts. They respond by clinging to the word, keeping it dear as they endure all things in faith. Listen to that. Just listen to that carefully. They respond by clinging to the word. They hold on to what he's put inside of them. They focus on it. They cling to it. It's it's their one focus, right? keeping it dear, valuable, this is the most valuable thing to me, as they endure all things in faith. Endure all things in faith. That means that stuff still happens, but because you've got good soil, you're clinging to what what God's sown, you're enduring it in faith because you believe that this is actually what you were born for. It's something totally different. This is the seed that will one day bear much fruit in their lives. Go back to John chapter 15. Is this making sense so far? We're slowly unpacking this. Hmm.
Listen to this. Let's read um, John chapter 15 from verse 5. I'm the sprouting vine and you're my branches. As you live in union with me as your source, <laughs> fruitfulness will stream from within you. This is, this is simply what he's saying. Fruitfulness flows from intimacy. You want to do wild and awesome things for Jesus? It all comes from intimacy with him. It all comes from knowing him. He's saying if you, if you don't understand oneness, you will never see long-lasting fruit. You might bear fruit for a moment. You might even bear fruit for a certain little length of time, but it'll never be long-lasting unless you have intimacy with Jesus. Why? Because you don't have a healthy root system. If you don't have a healthy foundation, if you don't know what you believe, if you haven't established a clear understanding of the nature of God in your life, the fruit in your life will show. What do I mean by that? If, the, if your understanding of God is that He can still be disappointed in you, that's a problem in your root system that is eventually going to show itself in the fruit that you bear. Do you see what I'm saying? If you see God as, as someone who gets frustrated with you when you don't quite do what you thought He was telling you to do, that's something wrong with the root system that once again starts to show in the fruit that you bear. Is this making sense? So how do you know if your root system isn't healthy? Just look at the fruit in your life. What kind of fruit are you producing? If you're producing the kind of fruit that's like, you know, sometimes it's really nice, sometimes ooh, pretty sour. Then you go back and you say, okay, let me go back to my root system and make sure that I'm building a healthy root system. Let me make sure that I understand what I believe. Let me take the time. And again, we're not talking about striving and trying to figure this thing out. We're not talking about that. We're talking about simply getting before the Lord, getting alone with God and saying, God, would you help me build this foundation of true believing? Would you teach me what it means to believe again? Because this is the thing. What you believe, you become. Think about that for a second. What you believe, you become. If you believe you're a failure, you become failures. Because you just go from one failure to the next. Because every time you fail, you own it as your identity. And this is what happens. If you put that label on the tree, guess what fruit it produces? If you believe that that's what you are, that's the fruit that you're going to produce. The thing is, you were never created to produce that fruit. So you've got to make sure that you understand what you believe. You've got to make sure that you've built that healthy root system. Let's carry on. Um, fruitfulness will stream from within you. But when you live separated from me, you are powerless. So outside of Jesus, there's literally, you're, you're hopeless. <laughs> it's like I was saying, Jordan and I were talking earlier, just going like, basically without Jesus, we're just done. There's just no, and, and I don't know about you, but you just have to kind of look outside and you'll see it. Like, just look at the world. Just look at what's going on out there. They're, they're desperately trying to find something that can keep them grounded and actually rooted in something and they get tossed to and fro by all this stuff and there's stress and they live up and down, up and down from good moments to bad moments, good moments to bad moments and it's exhausting and you can see it in their faces. That's why you go tell them Jesus loves them and they just beam because they're, they're crying out for that. They don't know it yet. This makes sense, right? If a person is separated from me, he is discarded, such branches are gathered up and thrown into the fire to be burned. But if you live in life union with me and if my words live powerfully within you, Think about Luke 8, clinging to what was sown, clinging to that seed that he put inside of you. If, if his words live powerfully within you, then you can ask whatever you desire and it'll be done. This is what's so awesome about this. When you are one with Holy Spirit, guess what? Your desires and his desires become the same thing. Why in intimacy with God does suddenly you can ask anything that you want and it'll be done? 
Because your wants, your desires actually become what He wants. Because you live one with Him. Because here's the thing, you were never ever created for yourself. So using Damien as an example, when he was praying for people, if you're calling yourself an introvert, you're giving yourself a reason to believe that you're not adequate enough to actually do that. But if you, if you take truth and you say, actually, I'm one with God, what does He want? Because when I'm one with Him, I want the same thing. So God wants to reach lost sons and daughters. God wants our, the fruit of our lives to actually go out there and people can taste of it and go, wow, and plant that seed. He wants to use us to reproduce the kingdom of heaven, but it only happens when we're one with Him because that's the only time that we actually carry His heart. See, heaven on earth is not just about signs, wonders, miracles, and those kind of things. It's about the nature of God being demonstrated on the earth. Signs, wonders, and miracles are supposed to be an overflow of what comes from intimacy with God. So I'm not chasing the manifestations of heaven. I'm chasing Jesus because when I have him and I'm one with him, stuff's going to get wild. Because I'm not intimidated by you because I didn't, I didn't find my acceptance in you. So your rejection doesn't shake me. You can't reject me. That's, that's when we find freedom. See, here's the thing. You can, you can experience, tonight we can have an amazing moment and God can come and touch you and you can experience a feeling of freedom. And it's incredible, and I love those moments because they are they're incredible touches from God. But God never called you to live moment to moment. He never called you to live from a moment of freedom, suddenly you're stuck again, back to another moment of freedom, stuck again. He didn't call you to that. He called you to live free. But guess what? The only way to live free is in relationship and intimacy with God. You can experience freedom in a moment. You can only keep it in intimacy. Think about that for a second. If you want to, you can get free in a moment, right? I'll give you a good example. Um, circus elephants. Do you know what they do to circus elephants? When they're babies, they tie them to a pole. And that baby for years and years and years will wrestle that thing and try and get away and try and get away and try and get away. It's horrible. It's cruel what they do. But for years, as it's growing up as an elephant, it, it wrestles this pole until eventually it full on believes that I'll never get away from this thing. And then they remove the rope and that elephant will never leave that post. The elephant never, ha- never runs away. They never have to worry about it. They don't have to leash it. They don't have to tie them up. The elephant never runs away because in its head it's been broken. And that's what we do. We were bound by something and we've believed that we're stuck. And God removes the rope and says, you're no longer bound, you're free. And we're just walking around the same post that we were stuck to for years and years and years. So you can experience freedom. God can remove that rope, but you'll only walk away free in intimacy with Jesus because Holy Spirit, is He leads us into all truth. Holy Spirit does. We can't even figure the truth out on our own. He leads us into it. So literally, it comes back to abiding in the vine. This whole thing, this whole picture comes back to just surrendering and being intimate with God and saying, Lord, would you teach me how to have relationship with you? I I began to have relationship with the Lord when I approached it like this. I remember getting alone with God and just saying, I have no idea how to do this, God. I have no idea. I thought I did. I read my Bible. I prayed prayers. I ticked the boxes, you know, of the things that, you know, I did praise and worship. I did all the stuff. I actually don't know how to have a relationship with you. You've got to teach me from scratch. And it's funny, when you get to that place, suddenly this voice becomes a whole lot louder inside of you because he's like, thank God you finally got to the place where I can get rid of all the junk and actually just speak to you where we could get rid of all the filters, all the stuff that we've put between us and God, all the religious mindsets. Let's remove that and actually let him speak to us. And then what's incredible is he says, now I'm going to place you in a family that are going to hold you accountable to your ability in Christ, not your disability. 
That's what real accountability is. But when you're in family, suddenly I hear God. He says this to me. I go share it with my family, and they go, that's God. Because we're all Christians, right? God's not schizophrenic. He wouldn't tell me something and then tell you the opposite. When that happens, we've got to journey something together and actually find out what God really is saying because he's not schizophrenic. That one was for free. (laughs) When your lives bear abundant fruit, you demonstrate that you are my mature disciples who glorify my Father. Okay, jump down to this awesome scripture, verse 16. John 15, verse 16. You didn't choose me, but I've chosen and commissioned you to go into the world to bear fruit. And your fruit will last because whatever you ask of my Father for my sake, he will give it to you. Do you realize what he's saying? He's saying, when you live in oneness with me, you're going to be sent into the world to bear fruit, and your fruit's going to last because whatever you ask of my Father for Jesus' sake, he'll give it to you. Because he can trust you. Do you know why he can trust you? Because he trusts himself. And if you've become one with God, then he trusts you like he trusts himself. That was the master plan of the Father from the very beginning. He could come down here on his own and do it. But he's like, I actually want to do it with my sons and daughters. I actually want to build a family. I actually want to use them. I want them to know what it's like to have the same oneness that the Trinity share. Because in that place, you carry true authority. And it comes from love. Because God is love. Love's not an emotion, it's not a feeling, it's God. It's who He is. That's why marriage wasn't created for each other, it was created for God, because He's love. That's the only way I can be free from you and be free from me at the same time. Think about that for a second. (laughs) There's another cool scripture, Ephesians chapter 3. Hmm. verse 14 we'll just read from there so I kneel humbly in awe before the father of our Lord Jesus the Messiah the perfect father of every father and child in heaven and on earth and I pray that he would unveil within you the unlimited riches of his glory and favor until supernatural strength floods your innermost being with his divine might and explosive power whoa You can't just read that. You gotta like sit on that for a while because what he's saying is, he's saying in him, he wants to unveil the unlimited riches of his glory and favor, which you didn't earn. You didn't didn't earn that. You didn't achieve that. He gave it to you because he likes you. He doesn't just love you. He likes you. Like it's not just that he's like kind of forced to love you because he created you. He likes you. He likes to be with you. He wants to be with you, right? So he's given us this and then he says, when he gives that, uh, and, he pray, and I pray that he would un- unveil within you the unlimited riches of his glory and favor until supernatural strength floods your innermost being with his divine might and explosive power. Supernatural strength, not your own strength, supernatural strength that floods your innermost being with his divine might and explosive power. Then, by constantly using your faith, the life of Christ will be released deep inside you and the resting place of his love will become the very source and root of your life. What is he saying? When he says constantly using your faith. Using your faith in what? In believing that he's poured out his unlimited riches of glory and favor on you. And that's going to produce supernatural strength that floods your innermost being with divine might and explosive power. 
and is going to release the life of Christ deep inside you. And then the resting place of his love will become the very source and root of your life. I don't know about you. In that whole piece there, it's not expecting me to do anything other than say yes. Here's the thing about saying yes. When you say yes, it also means saying no. You have to say no to something else to say yes to Jesus, right? That's the part where we get stuck. And that's where in this journey of being rooted and having relationship with Jesus, this is where our fight is. When Paul talks about the good fight of faith, it's not about trying to achieve anything. It's not about trying to achieve a standard or or, or reach a certain level or whatever. It's not about any of that. It's about saying no to the world and saying yes to Jesus. That's the good fight of faith. It's staying in faith. It's staying in that place of saying, God, this is who you created me to be. I will not be shaken. Why? Because I'm clinging. I'm clinging to that seed that you planted in me because I know that this is good soil. I'm not going to let myself grow weeds. I'm not going to harden my heart. I'm not going to allow my heart to become like gravel. I'm going to make sure that I'm creating an Eden environment inside of me, an, an Eden culture where we can walk with God. Not just externally, internally. The most intimate experience that we can have is the voice of God within us. We were created for it. I I think I've spoken to every single one of you and, and you've almost all said the same thing where until you found Jesus, there was an empty space inside of you that you just could not fill. (laughs) Because it was created for him. (laughs) Like, it's amazing how it surprises us. We find Jesus like, suddenly I just don't feel empty anymore. That's because that little space that you felt is actually for him. Like, he likes to live inside you. He's made his home in the theater of your soul, and he likes what he sees. Because he covered you in his blood. That's what he died for. Hmm. Oh, man. Psalms chapter 1. Psalms 1 verse 1, what delight comes to the one who follows God's ways. He won't walk in step with the wicked, nor share the sinner's way, nor be found sitting in the scorner's seat. His pleasure and passion is remaining true to the word of I am. You know what, when I was prepping this a bit earlier, what I felt just in that line there, his pleasure and passion is remaining true to the word of I am. Do you know why God calls himself I am? Because our sufficiency is from God. (laughs) I am. He is everything that was required of us. He became it. So what he's saying is, our pleasure and our passion is remaining true to the word of I am. Remaining true to the understanding that God is our sufficiency. That he's, he's covered the whole thing. He's done it all. There's nothing left to do. We've, we find pleasure and passion in remaining in that truth because that's what we were born to live in. He did it all. It's a finished work. That's what changes my reality. I've got to understand that the finished work of the cross enables me to understand that my position with God is that I'm seated at the right hand of the Father with Jesus. That's my position forever. And it's that understanding that changes my condition here on the earth. That's why we are sanctified and we're being sanctified. What does that mean? It means that we are sanctified and that our identity will forever be a son. And it's that identity, it's that understanding that changes our daily walk because the more we realize that, the more we change. It makes sense, right? The more you know that you're a son. For example, I, I can be called 
the, a, a lawther, Grant's son. You know, I'm, I'm a lawther, I'm Grant's son. I can be called that. I can get the title. But if I don't choose to live like that, I don't get to enjoy the benefits of being a lawther. If I disappear and run away from my family and have nothing to do with them, I lose or I don't walk in what I was called to walk in from the beginning. I don't get to be Grant's son in my experience only by title. That's what most Christians do. I'm, just, I'm a child of God, friends. That's awesome that you call yourself that, but do you live as a child of God? Do you experience what it is to be a child of God? Do you understand that if He's made you His child, it means He wants to spend time with you. He wants to be with you. He's pumped. He's excited. He's so stoked to be with you every day. You open your eyes. And do you know why He opened your eyes? So that you could be with Him. And we open our eyes, and the first thing we do is run off to what we think we've got to do for the day, and we miss that mercy woke us up for another day to be one with God. We don't deserve to wake up tomorrow. Mercy wakes me up every day. When my eyes open up, the first thought that I should have is, He woke me up because He wants to be with me. Listen to someone who's rooted, right? His pleasure and passion is remaining true to the word of I am, meditating day and night in the true revelation of light. He will be standing firm like a flourishing tree, planted by God's design, deeply rooted by the brooks of bliss, bearing fruit in every season of his life. He is never dry, never fainting, ever blessed, ever prosperous. Guess why? Guess why he's ever blessed and ever prosperous, never dry, never fainting? Because you can't shake me if I'm found in Jesus. You can take everything I have on this planet. You can take everything I have on this earth, but you haven't broken me. Why? Because I'm not living for this. I'm living for eternity. You can take my job. You can take my car. You can take my house. You can take all that stuff away. Guess what? It doesn't shake me because I wasn't living for those things anyway. I'm living for eternity because when I stand before Jesus, my house, my car, and my job doesn't count for anything. But me and Jesus, that counts. And what we did together, that counts. And if he was prepared to lay his life down for me, and he says the righteous will never be seen begging for bread, it's a good thing that that righteousness was given to us as a free gift according to Romans. So what he's saying is because I've given you that righteousness, you give yourself to me like I gave myself to you. You might go through seasons of trial and tribulation and suffering and all that kind of stuff, but you'll never be seen begging for bread. What he's saying is, if I'm prepared to give my whole life to you, why would I not look after you? If I'm prepared to die for you, why would I not provide for you? Problem with us is we think that faith is take the credit card, go into debt, and then trust God to remove that. Isn't that true? Actually, faith is God. You're my only plan. I don't have a plan B. So if everything gets taken away, what are you going to do, Lord? How do you want to do this? How do you want to play this? Because I'd rather die and starve and go down believing what I believe than change this. See, the fire doesn't change the message, man. This won't make sense unless we're rooted. Back to John 15. Verse 4, So you must remain in life union with me, for I remain in life union with you. For as a branch severed from the vine will not bear fruit, so your life will be fruitless unless you live your life intimately joined to mine. Intimately joined to His. 
I am the sprouting vine and you're my branches. As you live in union with me as your source, fruitfulness will stream from within you. The whole thing is about relationship. The whole thing is about being in him. And over the next little while, we're going to talk about what that actually looks like. We're going to talk about when you spend time with God, what does that look like? What, how do we learn to grow in that oneness with him? You know? And what I want to encourage you with is it looks different all the time. The moment we become familiar with how we hear God, like this is how I hear God. Well, you've just boxed him. Like he's God, you know. Sometimes he might show you a picture. Some days he might just speak in your heart. Other days he might speak audibly. Other days he might give you a dream and a vision. Other times he might physically walk into your room. See, here's the thing. A life of intimacy with Jesus is extraordinary. There is no boring normal day, day in intimacy with Jesus. It's impossible. Do you realize who he is? He creates stars for fun. The universe is the art of God. He's, he's creating all the time. He's the ultimate creator. You are the art of God. He's, he's, he's wild. He's amazing. Why do we think that he's boring? Why do we treat him like every day is going to be the same? He's got so much that he wants to share with us. And he's just going, if you just give me the time, I'm going to show you some wild things. Some amazing things. But we're so stuck on ourselves that we miss the glory and the splendor and the majesty of what he wants to show us because we're still stuck on God. You shouldn't be talking to me. Do you understand what I'm saying? We're still stuck in that, oh, I don't deserve this, Lord. That's beautiful. I'm glad that you felt that when you got saved. But now start living like a son. He's put the ring on your finger. He's put the robe over you. He's killed the fattened calf to have a feast to celebrate you. It's time to start living like a son. He's given you the authority, the signet ring. He's given you the ring that says, actually, I can stamp. Do you know that that ring that they, that they put on the sun, it's got the family thing on it, the, what do you call it, the symbol or whatever, crest, so that he can stamp the same documents on behalf of his dad. If you go and study the story of the prodigal son, that's what that ring is. It's not just a fun little promise ring. This is the, the ring that carries the family crest that says, whatever you stamp and approve, I approve. What he's saying is you carry the same authority that Christ carries. He's called us to change the world. He's called us to model this thing, but the whole thing comes back to me and Jesus, me and Holy Spirit, me and the Father, growing in oneness, growing in intimacy, learning to hear his voice. Even in the nighttime, we think when we fall asleep, it's like we just switch off. No, if we spend more than a third of our lives asleep, he wants to speak to us in the night season. He wants to show us things. He wants to wake us up and tell us the secrets of his heart. If you don't have a journal, buy one because he's about to pour out the revelation and understanding of heaven. Start putting that stuff down. Write it. Talk to people. When you're, when you're discipling and being discipled, show them what God's saying to you. Unpack this stuff so that you can grow together and say, man, I'm learning to hear the voice of God. And begin to step out in faith. And if God gives you words of knowledge for people, step out in them even if they're completely wrong. And if you miss the mark and it's like really awkward, just say, hey, I'm learning to hear God. It's a joy. He loves me. Because I'm not intimidated by fear of man. I'm not intimidated by all that stuff. I just want to know him. And I've realized I've been set free from me. So there is no failure in God, only opportunities to be transformed. So if I get a word of knowledge and I give it and it's totally wrong, guess what? It's not a failure. It's an opportunity to be more transformed. 
It's an opportunity to, to become more like Jesus so that I hear him better the next time. And I'm not intimidated by it because it's drenched in love, so it still works. They still get wrecked. They still get touched by Jesus, even though I got it completely wrong. God's going to heal your knee. There's nothing wrong with my knee. It's my ankle. Sweet, let's pray for your ankle. So I want to encourage you over this next little while as we do this to, to really go after time with the Lord. But to understand it as this, it is vital and so important that you have alone time with Jesus. Why? Because that's what he's called us to. It's so important that you have that time where it's just you and God. And, and really make sure that you've set enough time that there's no distractions, that you can just go after him. Silence every other voice. Why do we do fasting? Prayer and fasting. Not to punish ourselves, not to earn anything or achieve something. We consecrate ourselves. We silence every other voice so that we say, Lord, I want to hear from you. I want to go deeper. I want to go further. It's hunger. Right? As you begin to do that, understand that there's a place, there's a secret place for just you and God. But you've got to go beyond that and realize that it's not just an hour a day. He's with you all the time. When you're driving in the car on the way to work or whatever it is that you're doing, talk to Him. He's right there. He didn't leave. He's not a little dove. He's one with you. You've become one with Him. He's not going anywhere. When you're doing your job and you, you know, stress or stuff starting to happen, just, whoa, silence every other voice. Yield. Cling to the seed that he's put inside of you. And say, okay, Lord, what are you doing? Enduring in, in faith through all things. Okay, Lord, what are you saying? What are you doing? What are you leading me into? Is there someone here you want to touch? Are you just loving me? Do you know that sometimes he just wants to tell you that he loves you? Do you know that something really challenged me? It took me a while to get over it, and you're going to laugh at the story, but I went for a walk with the Lord probably about a year back in my boomed area, and I love walking around there because at a certain time, about five o'clock just after five, it's really pretty. The sun goes down, the way it hits the trees. It's like, it's a really awesome time to walk that neighborhood. And I was walking there one day and just talking to the Lord, and I was kind of saying, Lord, tell me something. I want to know. What, what, are you, what are you thinking? What are you feeling? I want to know your heart, whatever. And I was looking at this one tree, and I felt like the definite voice of God straight in me, like, oh man, I really love that tree. Now, I, I was like, my first response was going, okay, that's just my head. Like, <laughs> seriously. But then I began to realize and say, okay, Lord, if I'm asking to know your heart, if I'm asking to know your ways, if I want to, like, sometimes he doesn't want to talk. Sometimes he just wants to be with you. See, we've got to stop treating him as this woo booming voice that we're waiting to come and say something. Like he's our dad. Sometimes he just wants to hang. Sometimes you go, Lord, what are you saying today? And he goes, nothing. And you say, okay, Lord, what do you want to do? Nothing. Let's just enjoy each other. Or, I like that tree. <laughs> and you know what's funny is he challenged me on that. And eventually I went, Lord, I like that tree too. <laughs> like, that's a great tree. Like, wow, you're, you're amazing. The other day, I think it was Thursday, I was just having a tender day with the Lord, like just blown away and how awesome he is, and that he loves me so much. And I spoke to Damien, well, after the seven-minute voice note. Um, was it yesterday? Sorry, yesterday. And, and Damien says to me, man, I'm also having one of those days where it's just like I'm just wrecked. And then he, it was so cool, it was like listening to a hippie, because he he's like, I'm in the garden, man. I looked at this, this beautiful thing, bush and tree and flowers and whatever, and I'm just like, God, you're amazing. Like, he's so cool, you know? And what I love about that is it's real. <laughs> it's real because it's like, it's romance, it's intimacy, it's, it's oneness with God. It's like, it's not just about what do you want me to do, it's about let's enjoy each other, let's be together, let's grow. Because the more I learn to be with God, when He does tell me to do something, I know His voice. You know? 
So when you're spending time with God, yes, He does want to give you divine assignments and He wants to speak to you and He wants to show you what He's going to unfold in the future and He's going to, all that kind of stuff, but He also just wants to be with you. And sometimes He doesn't want to say stuff, sometimes He just wants to hang. And when we understand this, when we understand relationship with Him, when we read our Bibles, instead of just reading it as a book, we say, Holy Spirit, reveal yourself to me. Because I want to read this book to know you more. I want to get to know you. I want to know your heart, your nature. I want to know what you look like. Because you reveal yourself throughout this whole book. And just because I don't understand something doesn't mean that it's, it's pointless. Then I say, God, open up my heart. Reveal to me. Show me. What are you saying? And suddenly scriptures begin to jump out at you and grab you. And it's the scripture you've read a billion times. And the book comes to life because it's about intimacy. It's a love story. It's cool, right? It's cool, man. And this is when Christianity becomes real. This is when Christianity becomes Christianity, Christ-likeness. Because He loves His Son, and we're His sons and daughters, and we've been, we've been made co-heirs with Christ, which means the same love He has for Jesus, it was in the, the book, if you read it just now, the same love that He has for Jesus, He has for us. The same love. It's wild. So that's a little introduction to what we're going to unpack. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's wild, man. And we are going to, I want to encourage you, I, I was tempted to get practical tonight, but I, I feel like I wanted to just kind of hit you with a, this is it, and then we're going to break this thing down into chunks and say, okay, like we're going to talk real practical about hearing the voice of God. We're going to talk really practical about obedience. We're going to talk about all these different things, revelation, understanding, all that kind of stuff, um, and what it means to have relationship. Because sometimes we try and base our relationship with God on relationships we've had with people. And then we take experience and we let experience define truth when it's supposed to be the other way around. Truth is supposed to define experience. Let chew on that one for a while, that one. Will. Does that make sense? It's deep, and that's why we've got to record it, because like even for myself, got to go back and listen to the stuff and chew on it and go over and over and over. Those scriptures that I read tonight, you could sit on that for a month. You could literally, like, you could just sit on that and just, if you took John 15 and just spent the next month on John 15, it would do you so much good because the whole thing comes down to abiding in the vine, comes down to being one with Jesus. Ooh. KO'd, yeah. No, now I'm, I'm saying, like, what do you want to do, Lord? Because, like, after this kind of thing happens, I just want to run to my bedroom and lock the door and be with Jesus. Like, that's what it feels like, you know. But I really felt earlier that there was just such an unlocking going on. And I, I, the picture that I saw was actually some of us just standing there and Jesus was just ripping off the junk. And it kind of ties up with John 15 and that he's pruning. We can't get rid of this stuff, man. He does. We really can't. We can't get rid of all the stuff that we think is wrong with us. And it's funny how we are the ones that think it's wrong. those are the wrong things in our lives. Let's just get vulnerable with Jesus and say, okay, Lord, every insecurity, all that stuff, every fear, every addiction, whatever it is, anxiety, all that stuff, just God, you take it away. I can't. I can't beat this thing. But you've already won. You paid the ultimate price. And you want to facilitate that victory in my life. And I'm just going to say yes. It's wild. So I want to encourage you over this next time. Like I think, <laughs> I really believe that what God's doing in our group and in our church and our community is that He's teaching us what it means to first and foremost 
authentically be family, like to, to really be true family. That's, that's a core foundation. But he's also teaching us kingdom culture. He's also teaching us that this, the culture of this house has to be the kingdom. And the kingdom operates on a totally different thinking and, and, and understanding than the world. It's not, they're, they're just, they totally clash. They're just not the same. The world's all about the grind and cleaning yourself up and working hard, and Jesus is about surrender. He's about hard work, don't get me wrong, but hard work that flows from surrender because he produces it, and then it doesn't feel like hard work because it's fun. So I'm excited, man. And God wants to use every single one of us to do amazing things. He's, there are divine assignments on every single one of us. And, and this is what's important. When you understand this thing about intimacy with Jesus, it doesn't matter where you are, what job you have, where you've been placed. It doesn't matter about any of that stuff because wherever you are, people are going to get wrecked because you're a tree that bears good fruit. And when they taste that fruit, they find Jesus. So whether you are called to be a physio or a musician or whether you're in full-time ministry or whether you're, whatever it is, Maybe, maybe you're in a transition process where you're called to be temporarily a fitness trainer or whatever while God's transitioning you. It doesn't matter where you are because He can place you in any sphere of influence and people are going to get wrecked because it's never been about you. It's always been about Him. And when we flow from intimacy, I don't find my satisfaction in what I do. I find it in Him. I don't find my identity in what I do. I've learned a very, very important lesson, especially over the last year and a half, and that's not to find my identity in ministry. Not to find my identity in God using me, but to find my identity in Him. Does that make sense? Because even over the last little while, I've been challenged. I'm like, okay, Lord, what happens if you told me to go and do something else? Would that totally throw me and wreck me? Or would it be like, okay, Lord, what do you want me to do? I'll do that. You know, that's challenged me right to the core. And then you learn obedience because then it really does come down to what are you saying, Lord? I'll do whatever it is, you know, because it's not about what it looks like. It's just about you. Love that. So I think we should pray.